verses 4 to 9 this morning. Uh, it's a funny thing as we were kids. Um, I don't know if you have this experience, the songs that you used to sing um, that maybe you didn't even really understand. And uh, we grew up singing, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then for some reason, we'd yell out right arm, and you'd start pumping your right arm, Father Abraham, a little louder, a little faster. Many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I'm one of them, so are you. And then, and then the left arm goes, and, and we'd keep going a little louder, a little faster, adding another limb until we all collapse on the floor, uh, exhausted. And uh, I, th- I think it worked well to tire out a bunch of rowdy kids so they could maybe sit still through the, the Sunday school lesson. Um, and it did firmly solidify in my mind that I was somehow a child of Abraham. No idea what that meant. No idea how that could be. Um, I, 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 it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, we, we didn't have the, the mail-in, um, whatever it is, 23andMe DNA kits in those days, so I wasn't able to verify this, but uh, pretty sure I'm not a descendant of Abraham. Um, this morning we're going to dig in a little deeper. Um, the call of Abraham. And, uh, and I hope as we walk through this, get some, some clarity, what does it mean? Father Abraham had many sons. How can I, can I say I am, I am one of them? What does that look like? Um, begin taking a look at, at Genesis 12. Last week, um, we looked at verses 1 to 3, which is, which is God's call on Abram. And, uh, and this week, we're going to push a little further, verses 4 to 9, and, and we see uh, Abraham's response to God. And uh, as, as Galatians puts it, we see Abraham, uh, the man of faith. A man of faith. Now, if you're not over, overly familiar with the story, you might be even confused already. I thought we were talking about Abram and then Abraham, and which is it? Well, it's the same person. Um, he's Abram is his, his birth name, and the Lord changes his name to Abraham later in the story. Uh, and so I'm going to try to stick with Abram as we're here in Genesis 12, but it's the same person. It's Abraham that you know. Um, but let's, uh, let's take a look together. Genesis chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1, um, just to get the context, and go down through verse 9. So follow along with me as I read. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country... And your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent uh, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. 
And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Looking at verses 1 to 3, we saw last week the, the Lord called Abram, leave your country, leave your family, go to a place that I will show you. He promised Abram that he would make him into a great nation, that he would make his name great, that he would bless him, and then that through Abram, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. As we come then into verses 4 to 9, we see Abram's response astoundingly. Um, Abram hears God's call. He, He listens to the promise. He believes God. And he obeys. And in that obedience, Abram becomes not only the father of this, the nation of Israel, whom God would grow and God would bless as he promised, but Abram would have many sons that way, but I'm not one of them. I'm not a descendant of Abram that way. At the same time, by his act of faith, Abram would also become Uh, the father of all those who have true faith in God, who trust in the Lord the way he did. And that way, Abram would become the father uh, of countless more children, and and because of that, he he would be a blessing to all the nations. It was to those who are the children of Abram in that way that that God would ultimately bless uh, with the greatest blessing. And so uh, as we come through to the New Testament, we see Galatians 3, 7 to 9, Paul writes this, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. Just let that sink in for a minute as you kind of get the the picture, the broader scope of what God is is doing from Old Testament through New Testament. It's those who are of of faith who are sons of Abraham. Um, And yes, it uses sons on purpose. Um, Children is kind of the, the modern, you know, neutral uh, neutral gender term, um, but the sons were in the position of blessing and honor in the family. And so it's significant. Daughters, you become women. You become sons of God, sons of Abraham. Um, men, we get to be the bride of Christ. We all take our turn. Um, but it's the sons of Abraham. Genesis 12, God is preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham. He's already looking forward to Jesus saying that in you, Abram, all the, all the nations will be blessed. And he can say that because that blessing is going to come by faith. From the very beginning, God had in mind that, that Jesus would come as the physical descendant of Abraham and that God's blessing would come through him to all nations. As people from all nations would come and put their faith in God just as Abram had. And so Galatians 3, 29, just a little further down, Paul says, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So we become heirs, we become inheritors of the promises of God through faith. That's what it means today to be a a child of Abraham, a son of Abraham. 
That we are we're his legacy, as it were, as we walk in faith, trusting in God the way that Abraham trusted God. And so the question then is, in what way did Abraham trust God? How do we understand this man of faith? How do we see his example? And, and as we look at the example of Abram's faith, this becomes our spiritual 23andMe. This becomes our DNA test. Am I truly the son of, of Abraham? Am I exhibiting the same kind of faith that, that he did? Am I walking, trusting God the way that he did? And so it's that true faith that we're examining. And the first thing we see is true faith follows God out of this world. True faith follows God out of this world. This verse is four in the first part of verse five. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he had departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So 75 years old, um, that's old. Um, the, you'll notice through the last genealogy, the, the age, the lifespan is dropping. Um, he departs from Haran, heading to Canaan. Now, once again, um, as we saw with the story of Babel, it, this is not strictly chronological here. Um, at first glance, it looks like Abram is in Haran when God calls him and not Ur. And, and yet elsewhere, we have this conflict, Genesis 15, Acts 7. Uh, it says that God called Abram out of Ur, not out of Haran. And so last week we saw... Uh, the family of, of Abram, um, Terah, leaving Ur and heading up to Haran. And now we read that God calls Abram. Um, some of your Bible translations will smooth that out, um, try to clarify that. Um, so Genesis 12.1 would say, the Lord had called Abram. And, and so th that call has already happened. We're just hearing about it now while he's in Haran. Um, I think that's accurate. I think that's a helpful way to understand it. Um, it's not there grammatically, but I think that's um, what's happening. We're, we're in Haran, but the Lord had called Abram when he was in Ur. Haran is just a stop along the way. The significant thing here is that, that Abram obeyed. Abram obeyed. Look at uh, verse 12.1. God called Abram, go. And, and the Hebrew word there is halak. Verse 4 then, it says, Abram went. And the Hebrew word there is halak. It's parallel, intentionally so. The, the English grammar doesn't allow it, um, but, if, but if you could, we could say, you know, the, the Lord said, go, and Abram goed. Like it is one-to-one -one obedience. And, and it adds to that then, um, just as the Lord had told him. That's the phrase that was used three times of Noah as he walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. He's doing exactly what God had commanded. And this would not have been easy. Um, leaving Ur was a big deal. Um, if you remember from last week, Ur was this important city, an important city in the, in the culture of the, the Chaldeans and their, and their worship. Um, there's this ziggurat there. This was built in the time of Abram. This was not some little backwater town. Um, I always kind of picture Abram growing up in tents and, and so leave one kind of destitute place for another. No, he lived in a city. He lived in a place of influence and power. Um, 
I was shocked. Actually, it's funny. I looked at the picture. It was a year ago today at 1138. So like a year ago exactly. Um, we were in the London, uh, the British Museum in London. And uh, there's this little thing on display. Um, this is called the Ram in the Thicket. And it is, it's beautiful. It's, it's gold and silver and, and uh, copper and lapis lazula is the stone on the back of its neck, ornately carved. That's a table leg. That's a table leg that was found in Ur from the time of Abram. This place was, this was wealthy. This was a place of, of, of luxury and comfort, a powerful city. Um, when God calls Abram out of Ur, it would be like today saying, like, leave New York, right? Leave Los Angeles. He's calling him out of a, a center for, for religion, for, uh, for influence, for culture. Everything around him would have been screaming, stay. Why would you go? Why would you leave? It doesn't make any sense. If you're going to amount to anything, you're in the right place now. And God says, get out of there. All Abram has to go on is what Martin Luther calls the, the, the nudus verbum, the naked word. He just has this call from God out of, out of the blue. It's not a God that, he, that, that, that the people around him worship. It's not a God who is likely familiar to him. And there's no down payment. There's no evidence. God just says, follow me. Come. Reminds me of the, the classic scene, the old uh, Indiana Jones movies. Um, those are still circulating. We literally pulled the VHS tapes out of storage and watched um, two out of three of them <clears throat> with our kids um, recently. And uh, there's this great scene as, uh, as Indiana Jones is trying to get to the, the Holy Grail and he has to go through these different... Um, tests and, and uh, challenges, and he comes to the one that is called the leap of faith, and it's this crevasse with sheer walls and, and just no bottom, and he looks out. Um, he's standing in one wall in a doorway, and there's another doorway on the other side. It's far too large to jump across. It doesn't make any sense. All he has is his father's words out of his diary, telling him only by a leap of faith Will he prove his worth? Doesn't make any sense. He looks down, it's certain death. There's no way across. He has, he has no reason to step forward except for his father's words. Um, and so as everything cries out, don't do it, and you watch his, his tension build and the music climaxes, he closes his eyes and he steps out and his foot stops and he walks across. That's what God is calling Abram to do. Step out. Follow me. Where to? I'll show you when we get there. Really, God? But he leaves it behind. Look back at verse 1. Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land I will show you. In order for Abram to be a blessing to the world, the Lord has to take him out of the world. He removes him. Even as an old man, he, he leaves behind his security, his comfort, his culture, his friends, his family. He has to leave behind his whole, his whole way of life, trusting just in this, this call of God. No one around him would understand this. this. He would look certifiably insane. But that was the call of God. And it still is the call of God today. The words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The Apostle Paul, 
was called to, to leave behind his position as a Pharisee. You mean want to talk about a respected place in the community? Leave behind his place of, of honor and power and influence? Go against his culture, against his family, against his co-workers? God calls us. Matthew 16, 24, 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, which was an instrument of death, take up his electric chair, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you're going to try to hold on to your life, you're going to try to keep your life here, it's going to evaporate, you're going to lose it. But those who will sacrifice, those who will leave that life behind for me, they will find true life. There's a kind of life that this world has to offer. There's a, there's a security found in Ur. There are good things there, giving yourself to your career, to be accepted and understood by the, the people around you, to be, to be counted as a reasonable person by the, the standards of this world. There's a pleasure, there's a, a satisfaction in the indulgences of this life. But when Jesus calls someone, he calls them to leave it behind. Abraham didn't have the option um, to follow God and stay in Ur. Couldn't do it. Jesus doesn't give us the choice of keeping our, our worldly life and just kind of adding him to it. He's not the, the cherry on top of an already pretty good thing. Jesus says, no, leave your country, leave your kindred, leave your father's house, let it all go. Let go of finding your identity here, in your job, in your success, in your marriage, in your house, in your car. Let go of finding your fulfillment and your joy in the things of this world. Let go of trying to, to build your perfect life here and now. Give it up. Give it all up. Let it go. And in trembling, we ask the question, Lord, if I let that all go, what will I have? What will be left? Where am I going? I don't know. And the Lord says, I'll show you. Just follow me. First, trust me. It's, it's better. First, give up this world, and then I'll show you. You cannot cling to God. You cannot receive the, the promises of God when your hands are filled with the things of this world. You, you can't taste the sweetness of Christ when, you're, when your mouth is full with everything of the world. True faith follows God out of this world, trusting in the, the bare word of God. And says, okay, I'll leave everything I once held dear. I will give it up. I will follow you. True faith follows God out of this world. Secondly, true faith follows God into this world. Starting there at the end of verse 5, down to verse 7, when they came into the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. There's a lot in there that maybe as North American readers we don't kind of pick up on immediately. Um, 
Shechem is a city located in a, in a strategic place um, between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, um, right in the middle of Canaan. It is this kind of key defensive position at the very heart of the land of Canaan. And if you look closely, the language there is a bit odd too. It, it's, it doesn't say he came to Shechem, it said he came to the place at Shechem, um, which is the Oak of Morah. Um, the place at Shechem, that probably refers to uh, the presence of a Canaanite altar. It was a place of, of worship. Um, Mora means teacher. This is probably where an oracle had sat or somebody of, of religious significance there. Um, the large oak tree, um, similar to the Tower of Babel, its top up in the heavens becomes this, this touch point um, with the gods. And we're told the Canaanites are still in the land at that time. This is not some kind of old, abandoned altar. This is a current place of worship. What does Abram do? It's gutsy. He builds an altar to the Lord. Following the Lord, having left behind his security and his familiarity, trusting God, found himself in this, in this new world of pagan worship and coming into the land, he goes to the center of the land, one of their places of worship, and he builds an altar to Yahweh. This is a declaration from Abram. As for me and my house, we will, we will serve the Lord. Yahweh is God in the midst of all of this. So he not only follows God out of the world, leaving this kind of worldly system behind, but true faith follows God back, back into the world. There are days... There are lots of days that I wish that faith in Christ was followed immediately uh, by being beamed up into the clouds. Like, that would be great. I trust in Jesus. Good. You're out of here. Go to glory. Be done. Taken up. Be with Christ. Don't worry about this world. That doesn't seem to be an option. And so, you know, the next thing I think is, boy, I'm pretty sure, you know, we could, we could pack up. We could head out past Pritchard's place. Um, we could set up there, um, bring Jared's solar panels with us. Um, we got Josh's survival skills. Derek can build us some buildings and, and houses. Steve can grow us some crops. I, I bet you within a year, we're set. We can just live out there, maybe once or twice a year, go into town and just do our thing. And federal elections and provincial elections, they can come and go and nobody would know the difference. Um, it'd be great. Right? We can just do our thing out there. Fantastic. But listen to what Jesus says. His prayer, John 17, Jesus says this to his Father about us. I have given them your word, and the word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Oh, shoot, we're here. <laughs> I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then Jesus says this to the Father, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus says, I've given them your, your word. He's given us the, the gospel that, that calls us out of the world. 
And, and through the work of the gospel in Christ, in us, we have this new existence. We are no longer of the world. We are not creatures of the world anymore in the same way that Jesus is not of this world. That puts us at odds with this world. That means the world will hate us as they hated him. They killed him. The servant is not greater than his master. We should not, accept, not expect a, a warm welcome in this world. And yet Jesus' prayer is not that we would be taken out of the world, but rather that God would protect us from the world precisely because Jesus is sending us into the world. This is the Great Commission in John. We are sent back into the world just as Jesus was. You don't put your faith in Christ and then quit your job and leave your neighborhood and go hide out in a commune. It's tempting. It's not what, it's not what the Lord calls us to. You put your faith in Christ and you're sent back, back into your job. You're sent back into your neighborhood, back into the, the broken world that you've left behind. But now we go into this world as those who are not of this world. We go back like Abram, building an altar, declaring in the face of idolatry, in the face of sin and brokenness, Yahweh is God. There is a God showing by our lives what we worship, who we are, who we're following. Matthew 15, 14 to 16, Jesus says this to the disciples, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're to live openly. We're to live publicly as, as worshipers of God, living our lives in a way that honors Him in, in all that we say and that we do so that, that through us, others might see Him. True faith doesn't take the gospel and go hide. True faith lives out as an open worshiper of God in contrast to the world. The world's going this way, um, but we're going to stay right here. We're worshiping the Lord. Now that contrast should still be Christ-like, right? Let's be careful. Um, we ought to be winsome in the way that we present Christ. We're not belligerent, but people know. Do your neighbors know? Do your coworkers know? Do the, do the people around you know that guy's a worshiper of God? That guy's one of those Christians. I think he's a little bit crazy, but he sure is a nice guy. He sure is humble. He sure is patient and kind. He keeps wanting to share the gospel with me. True faith follows God out of this world, and true faith follows God back into the world. Finally then, true faith follows God beyond this world. Beyond this world. Picking up in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So we built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So verse 7 has this shocking statement we just kind of overlooked a minute ago. The Lord appeared to Abram doesn't say what the circumstances are, doesn't say what that 
looked like, but previously Abram had only heard the call of God. Now Abram sees God. The Lord tells him, this is it. This is the land that I'm going to give your offspring. This, this land that you're in right now, right here. And that's what prompts Abram to build an altar to the Lord. From there, Abram travels south toward Jerusalem between two smaller cities, Bethel and Ai. And there he pitches a tent. And again, he builds an altar to the Lord. This time it says, at the end of verse 8, he had called upon the name of the Lord. Um, some discussion over what that means. Some would say, um, looking through the writings of Moses, that's a clear reference to, to public corporate worship. Um, others would see it as more of a personal um, prayer, trusting in the Lord. But it's certainly a statement of that, at least. Abraham is trusting God. He's seeking God. Verse 9 ends this little section, saying that Abram journeyed on. He continues to travel, still going toward the Negev. Negev in Hebrew means um, the dry south country. It's that desert area down toward Egypt. It's outside of the land of Canaan. And so Abram um, was brought into the promised land from the north. He traveled down to Shechem in the center. Um, he's made two altars along the way, and now he's come out down through the bottom, out the other side. He's seen the promised land. He's seen it from top to bottom. He's, he's worshipped the Lord in the promised land. He's even built an altar there, which is highly significant and symbolic. And yet, for some reason, God doesn't give him the land. Like God could have given Abram the land right there. No problem. Easy. He's tasted the reality of it. He's seen what God has promised, and yet God doesn't give him possession of it. There's a very interesting contrast in verse 8. Um, between these two cities, Bethel and Ai, Abram builds an altar and pitches his tent. His worship, his declaration of God's promise and who God is, that is quite literally set in stone. He built an altar. His earthly dwelling, his personal attachment to this world, it's fleeting, it's light, it's loose. He lived in a tent. He worshipped in stone. He lived in a tent. One author put it this way. He had a transient life and a permanent faith. He almost certainly grew up in Ur uh, in, a, in a house built of stone. Probably some amenities and comforts there. Um, but from the day that he followed God's call until the day he died, Abram lived a life of wandering. The, the, the same would be true of his son Isaac and his son Jacob. They're wanderers, travelers, never permanent, never settling down. The writer of Hebrews comments on this, chapter 11, and he says in, in verses 8 to 10, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abram's faith meant that he followed God with an eye beyond this world. 
with an eye to something outside. The book of Hebrews um, does a little bit of a switch there. If you notice, if you're watching closely, think about this carefully. God promised that the offspring of Abram um, would inherit the land, the land of Canaan that would be theirs, and so they would. The the people of Israel would eventually um, physically inhabit the physical land. Joshua would bring them in. David and Solomon would push back its boundaries, bring a certain amount of, of peace. The kingdom would extend. But Hebrews tips us off. There's also something more going on here. Yes, Abram was trusting God for the the physical land, the land that that he could see in front of him, but he's also trusting God for something beyond that. Look at verse 10. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. I, I don't think that's physical Jerusalem. Hebrews clarifies further Verses 13 to 16, speaking of uh, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, he says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They they lived as strangers, exiles, outsiders, um, not only in the land as they traveled through the promised land, but on this earth. They were seeking a homeland but not an earthly homeland. If it was an earthly homeland, they could have gone back either to the land of Ur or to the land of Canaan. But they were seeking a heavenly homeland. Not an earthly country, a a heavenly country. They were seeking, they were trusting God for and living in light of the coming of, of their heavenly home, of something eternal. That's exactly what the Lord had in store for them. So whether or not you believe that there's a, a future for the, 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 the nation of ethnic Israel in the physical land of Israel, um, that's, that's, a, that's one thing. But the promise of the land is, is tied in with the promise of God that, that, that runs from, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. That God would restore humanity. That he would bring them back into this Garden of Eden-like state. There is the promise from the beginning that that somehow, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our um, sin against God, our deserving of his wrath, that he would once again restore humanity to his, his peace, to his provision, and to his presence, just as they had at first, better than they had at first. And and the promised land absolutely checks those boxes in in some ways. It was peace there as they would have their own land. They would dwell secure. It was a promise, the the land flowing with milk and honey. That's a a, a promise of God's provision. And they would have have God's presence there, the the temple in Jerusalem. But, But the fullness, the culmination of that promise would never be complete in this world. It was always pointing to something higher, something greater, to an eternal culmination, the, the new Jerusalem, the great city whose, whose designer and builder is God himself, the, the heavenly country. It's looking forward to eternity. 
We often use the word heaven. I, I think uh, a little more biblical to speak of the new heavens and the new earth. Only there. Only then will we have this perfect, complete peace, rest for our souls. Only there will we have absolute fulfillment of God's provision and the, the overflowing satisfaction of the heart. Only there will we have personal, immediate presence of God with us. True faith follows God beyond this world. Abram spent his whole life as a sojourner, a foreigner, just traveling through like a hitchhiker passing through town. He doesn't set up an elaborate home. Uh, he doesn't buy big bulky things that are going to weigh him down. He's, he's passing through. Church, this is not our home. We're not to put our roots down here. Don't, don't seek your ultimate comfort here, your peace here, your satisfaction here. Like Abram, wandering through the desert, living in his tent, we are, we are passing through. This isn't our home. We have a home. We have a, a better home. Familiar words of Jesus, John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come again and will take you to be with myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's our home. It is so tempting to try to build our lives here, to make a name for ourselves here. We want to have success here. We want to have everything this life has to offer. We, we get nervous that the world is passing us by. I'm missing all these things and all this great stuff to do, and I'm, I'm missing out. I feel it too. So we sacrifice our faith in order to invest in the world. Things like sports, things like work, things like staying out late on Sunday night or just sleeping in early Sunday morning. I'd, I'd rather watch my favorite show than read my Bible. I'd rather spend time with friends than time in prayer. Look, those things aren't bad, but we need priorities. I'd love to be more involved in church, but what? What are the things of this world that so demand your attention that they take you away from the things of faith? And this was so clear for me just doing youth ministry years ago. Oh, I'd really love to come to the Bible study, but a bunch of us are going to the movie. <laughs> okay, why is it not, I'd really love to go to the movie, but a bunch of us are going to the Bible study? It's just priorities. And, I, and I'm not saying you have to have 100% perfect church attendance or 100% perfect Bible reading. It's not about legalism. I'm not trying to pass judgment here. I'm just asking you to consider before the Lord, between you and Him. It seems to be the norm now in our Christian culture, that it's just the thing that, that we do, that, that, that we go to church when we don't have anything better to do. And so once a month, twice a month becomes the norm. If there are things in your life that are habitually pulling you away from time with the Lord, pulling you away from gathering with the, the saints in worship, from regularly hearing the word preached, from participating in communion and, and fellowship, need to ask, have, have I built my earthly home out of stone and, and my worship is the tent that moves around? Have my worldly commitments become immovable 
and, and my worship has become transient? Those are hard questions to ask. I feel that. I'm right here with you. I have no doubt that every one of us, um, to ask that question honestly, that's going to require some sacrifice. But true faith follows God beyond this world. Even while we're in this world, our, our eyes, our hope, our, our home lies beyond the things here. And I distinctly remember the first time uh, as I began to, to preach on a regular basis, um, all of a sudden realizing I don't have weekends. Weekends are not a thing for me. I love backpacking, hiking. All of our friends would go hiking on the weekends, and I didn't get weekends. All I have is Monday, and nobody wants to go hiking on Monday. And I started getting grumpy with the Lord over it. I did. I started getting sulking before God. Oh, I'm going to miss out. This is what I really love to do, and and God is so patient. Um, He didn't tear me out of the pulpit, as maybe uh, he would have been just to do, an ungrateful preacher. Instead, he showed me, opened my eyes, this, the reality that, that behind my desire to spend time with friends and, and time with nature, behind my, my desire to stand at the, the, the summit of a great mountain and, and take in the glorious vista, behind all of that were some good and godly desires that he had put there. And he intends to satisfy them. There was nothing, nothing he was asking me to sacrifice in this world, not a single good and and God-honoring desire in my heart that he was calling me to, to sacrifice in this world that he would not fulfill to overflowing, satisfy and meet 10,000 times over in the world to come. Jesus promised, Matthew 19, 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. I have this strong desire in me to behold grandeur. That's what I love about the mountaintop. You can stand and see out over the sea of mighty mountain peaks. I could stand there for hours. Realistically, I'm just not going to have the opportunity to do that a whole lot, much less because I'm a pastor. The new heavens and the new earth, A, will be filled with its own display of grandeur and the mighty work of God that will will absolutely put this world to shame, but but much more significantly in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll have an eternity to gaze upon and to behold the grandeur and the glory of God. And truth be told, that's the only place my heart's going to be satisfied. Every, every mountain peak is going to spark that moment of awe and then leave me wanting more. It's the glory of God that my heart desires. So it's that eye to eternity. It's, it's living for what is beyond this world that, that frees us up to, to live for him in this world. I don't feel like I need to squeeze everything out of this life. I'm just passing through this life. I'm, I'm going home. I'm going to where I belong. My satisfaction is there. That's what it means to be a child of Abram, a son of Abram, in the most important way. Where is your heart set? What are the desires that you're trying to satisfy with things of this world that might just have to wait for eternity? Are you willing to to follow God, to follow Him 
in true faith that follows him out of this world, leaving behind sin, the desires of the flesh. Faith that follows him back into the world, willing to say, he's my God. I'm following him. Willing to be salt and light in the here and now. And faith that follows him beyond this world, not not rooting ourselves here, but living in this world as as a traveler passing through. Our hearts, our hopes fixed on that glorious eternal home. Roman, why don't you come prepare to lead us in worship. As Roman comes, I just want us to stop and consider. These are, the, these are the genetic markers of true faith. This is what it looks like. Maybe this is you. Maybe you see evidence of that as you're lining up the, the genetic markers and going, okay, I think I'm a descendant of Abram. But there's a couple things I need to grow in. There's a couple things I need to repent of and, and work on. Some things that I need to change as I follow Christ. I know I do. You guys think it's bad hearing this this morning. I had to sit in this all week. It's good news. This is why Jesus came. Right? Jesus is the perfect Abraham. Jesus is the one who followed God absolutely and completely and died on the cross to take our sin and give us his righteousness. And as we see even uh, in Abram next week as he goes down into Egypt, even he stumbles and fumbles along the way and the Lord is gracious and compassionate. But maybe this is not you. Maybe you look at this and you just have to admit, if that's what true faith looks like, I don't think I'm there. That's not me. I've been trying to add Jesus as a, as a cherry on top and do my world thing and add him to it. I don't think I have that. Well, good news. He still calls today. It's not too late. Trust him. Believe him and follow. Repent of your sin and turn away from the things of this world and, and trust in his promise. It's that simple. Let me pray for us. Father.